Confronted by the resurrection. So this is part five in our series in John. And uh, we're looking at chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. Now, over a period of 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus has been meeting with his disciples in various locations. In John chapter 20, his appearance has been around, in and around the city of Jerusalem. That's where the disciples were. That's where the crucifixion and the resurrection happened. But beginning with chapter 21, we travel north. In fact, way north, some 150 kilometres to the area around the Sea of Galilee. And last week we spoke of how Peter decided to go fishing and then the other disciples decided to join him. And as they fished that night, it was a frustrating fishing experience as they caught nothing. Now, suddenly a person appears on the shore and he tells them, he asks them, hey friends, have you caught anything? And they said, well, no. And then he says, well, throw your nets on the other side. And when they did that, they caught a miraculous catch. Everybody remember how many, kids, how many fish they caught? It was, yeah, 153. And uh, then they realized it was the Lord. And so they join him and Jesus already has a wonderful seaside breakfast, early morning breakfast prepared for them. But this was much more than just a casual get-together. This whole last chapter of John is mostly on Jesus addressing some unresolved issues with the Apostle Peter. And in these closing verses of this last chapter, we have two scenes with Jesus meeting with Peter in both of them. And and this morning we are just dealing with the, the first scene. And there they are on the shore. They've had their breakfast. The seven disciples are gathered around Jesus and Jesus begins to ask Peter a line of questions in front of everybody. This is not going to be very comfortable for Peter. But it needs to happen if Peter is going to be restored. And let's again mention that the Lord doesn't ask questions for his information, but rather to enable us to search our hearts, to find the answer and to settle the issues. Otherwise, you see, we can never move forward in the Christian life. So, first of all, our first heading this morning is a question of love in verse 15, and this is what we read. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice how the question is not about faith. Jesus didn't say, do you believe in me? Peter obviously believed in him or he wouldn't have tried to walk on water. Remember that episode. And, and, and now he witnessed another miraculous catch. So he obviously believed in Jesus. And the question is not about 
shame. Jesus didn't sit down uh, and, and say to, to Peter, now, aren't you ashamed, young man, now that you have denied me three times? No, he goes straight to the matter of the heart. He asks him, do you love me? Three times, in fact, he asked, because what did Peter do? Peter denied Jesus three times. So let's ask, what was Jesus referring to when he asked him, do you love me more than these? What was he referring to? Well, a couple of possibilities are emerging. Firstly, he could have been asking, Peter, do you love me more than these things? Jesus could have pointed his finger at, at, the, at the fishing boats, the, the nets, and uh, the fishing gear, and asked the question. After all, Peter said in, in verse 3, I'm going fishing. He was, he was returning to his, what we call his safety nets, to that which he knew well, to that which he was familiar. Fishing, you see, was Peter's life before he met the Lord. And it was in, in his workplace, in, his, in that fishing environment, that Jesus actually met him and called him. That was his livelihood, his profession. And more than likely, fishing was also his hobby, his enjoyment, as he spent all day and all night out there just for some quiet time, even though on this occasion he was there with his friends. One can understand how in times of uncertainty this activity helped him to clear his head. But it can also be seen as a backward step of running away from his calling and his responsibility. Now if we Recall, and we go to another gospel, the gospel of Matthew, it was actually Peter who declared to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 verse 27, we have left everything to follow you, Lord. We've left everything. Of course, Jesus knew that and he could have reminded Peter, Peter, mm, I thought you told me you left everything to follow me. But no, Jesus didn't bring that up this time. Now, if Jesus was asking you and me, do you love me more than the things that we have, our possessions, how would we answer? Would we walk away disappointed like the rich young ruler because we have too many of these things? Because you see... And Jesus spoke a lot about this in, in his sermons, in his parables. Our possessions can, can very easily get in the way of our devotion, of our devotion to God, our devotion to Jesus. The more stuff we have, the harder it is to let go. I hope, I hope and pray that our love for God is not compromised because of our possessions, the things that we have. What's another possibility? What could Jesus be referring to when he said, do you love me more than these? Jesus could also be asking, do you love me more than these men do? If that is the case, then 
there is another touch of irony here. In the Gospel of Matthew, Peter was the one who boasted of his love and loyalty to Jesus when he declared in Matthew 26:33, "Even if all fall away on account of you, Lord, I never will." So Jesus could have been asking Peter, "Now that you've denied me three times, as I told you you would, can you still affirm that you love me more than these other disciples do?" In his response, Peter does not say, "I I do love you more than more than these." He couldn't dare. He wouldn't. Peter is here confronted by the resurrected Jesus but not in the usual way that we understand confrontation. Jesus doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. He doesn't humiliate him in front of the others by saying, are you sorry for what you did? He doesn't make him promise to do better next time. But what he does do is he questions him publicly in front of the others. Why? Because he denied him publicly in front of others. And and there is an important principle here that applies. Public sins are to be dealt with in public, while private sins are to be dealt with in private. Now last week we read how as soon as he realised it was the Lord... He, he suddenly grabbed his outer garment to, to physically cover himself up. That was in verse 7. But Peter could not cover, cover himself up from his emotional shame as the master comes looking for him that morning beside the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' question, do you love me, is meant to to pierce through the layers, these protective layers that Peter built up and we all tend to build these up. It is because Jesus loves Peter that he asks him these three questions. And he's very direct. And Peter could not offer any excuses. But, 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 no, there were no excuses. You see, love doesn't ignore sin or pretend it's not there. In fact, remember that that Jesus had already said to Peter that he interceded. He interceded for Peter. And this is very powerful. This is from Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This is what Jesus said. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Just think about that. But I have prayed for you. This is Jesus. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It's a very powerful statement, isn't it? About it, not, what, not just what Jesus did there, but in fact this is actually Jesus' ministry of intercession right now before the Father for you and for me, for every believer. Let me tell you a story. Um, Many of you would know uh, that our our dear brother and evangelist and apologist, uh, Ravi Zacharias, has um, 
terminal cancer. And he tells this story in one of his books. He tells this story. He says, this is what he says. He says, years ago, I was given the great privilege to be in Shanghai in, in China, in the, in, the, in the home of the famed Chinese evangelist Wang Mingdao. And he told us that he was imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. But he soon renounced his faith and was released from imprisonment. And thereafter, he says, he lived with such torment of his soul that he walked in the streets of Beijing saying, and this is a few decades ago now, he says, he said, my name is Peter, my name is Peter, I have denied my Lord. Soon, Chairman Mao put him back into prison. And this time he put him in prison for 18 years. And Wang Mingdao said every day in prison he woke up and sang the hymn by Fanny Crosby. Many of you would know this hymn. And this is what it says. He says, all the way my saviour leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, he by faith in him to dwell. This is the hymn by Fanny Crosby. You probably know it well. All the way my saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, he by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth. All things well. Now this is the this is the hymn that he, he sung every day behind the bars in his jail. And at first the guards tried to silence him. And when they weren't able to succeed, they resigned themselves to, to put up with the singing. And gradually as the years went by, remember he was there for eighteen years the second time he was jailed that would gather near the opening to his cell to listen as he sang of God's faithfulness to him. Eventually, they began to ask him to sing to them and to teach them the the words and the meaning of the words of the song. You see, this is is the impact of of a person who has decided to, to live for God irrespective of the circumstances that the world is watching and we can be faithful to God irrespective of our circumstances. Now you and I have to come to grips with what it is that will motivate us through the ups and downs of life. When the road gets difficult and the, the darkness envelops us, that it's hard to find our way. What will take us through the valley of the shadows? And in a word... It's love. And we, we all know that there's a difference between an unbeliever and a believer. And for, for many, it is an intellectual journey of the mind, of the intellect. But it falls short if, if it does not reach the heart. This is what James said. He said, you believe that there is one God? Good. In other words, Congratulations. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's James chapter 2 verse 19. 
But so the next big step is when you move from simply being a believer to a disciple and a follower of Jesus. This then becomes not just a, a journey of the mind, of the intellect, but also of the heart. What makes a difference here is our love for Jesus. And this very question is asked and answered in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. The Lord requires that we love and obey him. But notice that loving and obeying the Lord is is for what? It's for our own good. This is how life is centred. This is how life is built. and, 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 And this is how we find peace. Because our lives are built on the right foundation. We are called to love Jesus Christ and when we do that, we are the ones who benefit, who find stability and joy in our lives. Our next, our next heading is a command to obey because it joins with the previous one, a command to obey. And this is, this is uh, what Peter, how he responded to Jesus. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. It should be clear to us that the resurrected Jesus could have challenged Peter on a number of different fronts. He could have exhorted him to believe more firmly, pray more fervently, or he could have exhorted him to stop being a coward, to stand up and to speak more boldly. Instead, Jesus challenges Peter to raise his commitment to loving him and to serve him by serving others. The master shepherd tells his under-shepherd to take care of his sheep for him. Three times he asks if he loves him and three times he is given a task, he is given a job, a command to obey based upon his response. The master said, well, if you do love me, as you say you do, then feed my sheep. Now Jesus didn't say, entertain my sheep, make them laugh, keep them happy. He definitely didn't say, fleece my sheep. We know a lot of that goes on. What do you do when you're feeding God's sheep? Well, you feed them the word of God. By the word of God, men are convinced of sin. Men are born again. This is something supernatural that God has instituted that through his word, men receive faith. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the principle. If someone comes along and, say, and, and, and says, well, okay, 
You tell me to love God, well, how do I show my love for God? There should be no mistake. Jesus clearly equated love for him with following his commands. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said in John 14, 15. You show your love for him by doing what he says. Trust and obey for there's no other way. That's it. And lastly, a relationship restored in verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Something else is here that we blink and we might miss it. There's something special about gathering outside around a a beautiful log fire, especially as the, the weather gets a bit cooler here in Australia. I think that's something that we're doing a lot more of. But So let's recall that after Jesus' arrest, John and Peter followed and, it's, and it says in John chapter 18, 18, it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. And Peter was also standing there with them, warming himself. So even at Jesus' arrest, we, there was a scene around a fire. And they are here on the beach again around a fire that Jesus has prepared for them. In that fire, Peter said, in that fire with the high priest, he said, I don't know him. In this fire, he says, Lord, you know I love you. In the first fire, he denies Christ. In this fire, he is restored by Christ. There's pain around both fires, isn't there? At his third denial, remember how the rooster crowed and it tells us, Luke tells us that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Here, Peter is again hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Both times he is hurt, but it's a different kind of hurt. It's a different kind of pain. We not we, we, we simply cannot avoid pain in the restoration. What's more, there are no anaesthetics. Did the painful surgery produce the desired healing? Yes. Peter never denied Jesus again. Uh, this tells me that in Jesus' hands, pain can be turned for his glory, for our good. And the difference between good pain and bad pain is not the the severity of the trial, whether it was heavy or light, but rather the result of it. What became of that pain? Pain, you see, rather than making us bitter, is to make us better. Rather than destroy us, it is to restore us. Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7.10, he said, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 
but worldly sorrow brings death. That's the difference. It's the result. It's a tremendous encouragement to know that Jesus is in the habit of extending mercy to those who have strayed. He is the shepherd who leaves the 99 to look for the one that is lost. Three times Peter had denied Jesus. Three times Peter affirms his love for him. Three times Jesus commissions Peter to care for his flock. And after this episode, there is no denying that, that, that Peter is, is restored. He is, in fact, restored in front of his brothers who will need his leadership. Just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, he stood in the temple court and preached a mighty gospel sermon to the men who had crucified the Lord. And 3,000 people were saved. And one day, a church was born. I love Peter because I know him so well. In fact, I see Peter's face in the mirror every day. We should all love Peter because... We all see ourselves in his story. He is so honest. We, we dare not accuse him because his story is, in fact, our story. And, and, and for all of us, this, this, this process of Christian growth is long, it is arduous and painful with many ups and downs. Peter will continue his ups and downs, but his love for Jesus will never again come into question. I hope that your love and my love for Jesus never comes into question. And like Peter the rock, may our lives start taking shape in the hands of the master sculptor who will build our lives for his glory so that we can be his witnesses. We can do what he tells us to do, to live our lives for him, our beloved Jesus. May God bless us as we continue to love him and love others. Amen.